Well, welcome to the final week of our Finding You series. And uh, if you've noticed on your note sheet, this actually has like 31 or 32 points. So uh, that's crazy, isn't it? I mean, that's exciting. We're just going to send it. I got a lot to talk about today. It's going to be good. And uh, man, we've been studying this core command that Jesus gives to all Christians. John 13, 34, and 35 is one of the many different places that he talks about it. He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I've loved you, so you should love each other. And this is so consistent throughout the New Testament. You'll see Jesus talk about this. You'll see John and Paul talk about this in the epistles. I mean, it is a really, really big deal. It's the greatest, most important commandment. It's iterated so many times, so many ways. It summarizes pretty much the whole Bible. What we do as Christians is right here. And on the surface, it's simple, but it's really powerful. And I remember as a kid, Sunday school teachers talking about this, and they'd be like, this is going to be the world-changing commandment. It's a huge deal. It's the most important. I'd be like, oh, what is it? You know what I mean? Are we going to be able to fly? Like, what are you talking about? Tell me, tell me, tell me. And they're like, love one another. And I was always like, well, that's dumb. You know what I mean? Like, that's pretty simple. That's not that awesome. Like, that's what, what do you mean? It's greatest commandment, you know? But it's been so transformative. And every time we do a series on this, it's, it's not only loved, but it just it changes people. We have seen many healed relationships because of this series, marriages, parent, child, sibling. I mean, so many of you guys are writing in, telling us about what God has been doing in your life. And uh, you know what we've also seen is a lot of people choosing to follow Jesus as their leader and forgiver, which is kind of interesting because we're not even doing direct invitations to receive Christ in the series, but many of you are discovering, man, like the barrier to me following Jesus has been understanding his love for me and my love for one another. And uh, I'll be honest, this has not been my favorite series to preach at all, um, but you guys love it. And I think it's because the core command Jesus gives to us is so fundamental and important, you know, and I want to get nerdy and go expository verse by verse, blah, 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 and that is my favorite thing to do. But... I'm grateful for this, and when I read about the teachings of Jesus, when I read about how Jesus taught his followers, it was always basic, it was always simple, and it always knitted its way back to this right here. So I'm glad we're doing this. This has by far been our most popular message series ever, and I have to say we've been super surprised by it, um, but we're so grateful for it. And we're using this process called the Enneagram to help us understand each other better. Um, Everybody's personality through the Enneagram fits into one of nine different profiles or types. It's sort of like a wheel, and all of us end up um, spinning over to one spot. Um, on that wheel. Uh, if uh, you're tuning in just now, you can go to www.first.church slash test to take a test. It'll help you figure out your type. And uh, then I'd encourage you to consider watching the message um, that we gave in the last three weeks that has the description of your type contained within it. And the whole purpose of this is to empower us to live out God's great commandment, love one another and love him better. This last week, um, I want to start with a story. Uh, a week ago yesterday, I was at Upwards Basketball. Many of you don't know this, but our church runs this awesome basketball league. It's at uh, the DeMott um, Elementary School on Saturdays. We have like 370 or 380 kids in that league this year, which is super cool. But I was messing around with Mike and Trina Swart and their twin kids, right? And um, one of the kids was going for a drive. And I like to think of myself as pretty athletic. And I'm not going to let this person drive in on me, right? And, uh, you know, I'm 34, but I feel like I'm 18. And so I did what I would call um, something, you know, I can summon it, um, but Tomahawk Savage Beast Mode. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to let this happen. And I come in there, and I'm leaving out some important facts that don't matter. Like, this is an eighth grade girl that's driving down on me, but who cares? It's not really that relevant. And, um, you know, to my credit, she's like a superhuman eighth grade girl. You know, Brooke is like super fast and crazy. And I'm like, who are you? You know, are you Michael Jordan? Like, what in the world? Like, she's crazy good. You know what I mean? Like, to my credit, she's really good, you guys. And uh, I I went up to block the shot. And whether or not I blocked it is not important, okay? I'm not even going to go there in this story. What does matter is when I landed, I twisted my ankle pretty good. Here's a picture about 10 minutes after I twisted my ankle. That is not natural. You know what I mean? 
mean? Like, I was like, ouch, you know what I mean? Like, things and reasons, ow, though. Like, that hurts. Um, and uh, really, no, that's not true. I was like, ah, because, you know, I tend to feel pain very acutely in my life. You know what I mean? Like, my wife had four kids. I sprained my ankle. I think I know how she feels. You know what I mean? But anyway... 1 Corinthians 12 tells us there are many parts but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Let me tell you, I learned this week, I need my feet. You know what I mean? Like I need my ankle, like the whole body. And, 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 and it was emphasized to me over and over again as I tried to like live my life after I sprained my ankle. My wife handled it better than I think most wives would. Um, I am a grown man, you know what I mean, with responsibilities and stuff. And had I been a construction worker, we'd have been homeless. You know what I mean? Like what was I thinking? Was it worth it, like reliving my glory day so I could block the shot of an eighth grade girl or fail at blocking the shot of an eighth grade girl? It was awesome. I kept trying to tell myself, I've got four out of five major appendages working. Some would argue that my head is also not working correctly, but never mind that. You know what I mean? I've got two arms that are good. I've got a great body, hello, and I've got a decent leg. The other one ain't working right, though. You know what I mean? And it didn't work. One little part of my body not working right, and the whole thing was just busted. I mean, I couldn't put away dishes. You know, Kristen would be like, can you help? I'd be like, no, I can't. It's just so bad. You know what I mean? She'd be like, hey, can you put the kids to bed? I'd be like, upstairs. You know what I mean? I can't. I'll put them to bed from the bottom of the stairs. Like, hey, kids, I love you. Night-night. I can't come up there. You know what I mean? Kristen's going to have to do it tonight. Basic tasks that required mobility were slow and painful, all because of this one little stanky leg right here. You know what I mean? It was rough. And we have... Spent a lot of weeks learning about the, the body of Christ. And that's how he refers to it. He says, all Christians come together to form one body. Like a body of believers, we amalgamate into this one. Like we work together as a team. It's just, it's just a, uh, an allegory way of describing all of us working together. But it's been really interesting to see this from his perspective, learning from the Enneagram how God made each of us for specific roles. We talked about how a soup scoop can't be a cheese grater. A cheese grater can't be a soup scoop. A hand can't be a foot. We all have our specific roles. If the hand tries to be a foot, it's not going to be that great, right? 1 Corinthians 12, 5, God puts it this way. He says, there are different kinds of service, but we serve the same God. We're all different parts. We all have different roles, but God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. Now, here's the thing. When I sprained my ankle, I mean, I was much less productive, like truly Honestly, it was hard to get around, right? And so it is with God's body on earth. You see, when we're injured as Christians, when relationally we're hurt with one another, we are much less productive. And I don't want us in this, in this message series just to learn about each other. I want us to learn about the process of healing one another so we can function as a body better. Because I think if we're being honest, the church in America is injured in a lot of ways. And that's going to happen. You know why? Because we're fighting. We're working as hard as we can to accomplish God's plan. Listen, listen. If I'm not doing anything, I'm never going to get injured, right? I mean, I'll just sit in my chair and not do anything, and I won't get injured. But if I get up and I'm playing against the Swart twins, I'm going to be working as hard as I can to dominate them, right? And listen, as a church, when we're working as hard as we can to serve God's purposes in our life, we're going to get injured relationally. It's just going to happen when we're giving, serving, living, I mean, together as hard as we can. We're working hard as, you know, in sisterhood and all these different things. Like, of course, there's going to be injuries. And I think it is critical if we're going to be a purpose-driven church, if we're really going to do the mission of God in our life together, that we not just learn how to understand one another, not just learn what our individual role is together, but we learn how to heal one another, Right? It's so important as a church that we understand this. And I think the real problem is not that we're getting injured because injuries are expected when we serve God. I think so we don't know how to heal from those injuries. And the biggest issue now is not just to understand basic differences in this final week, but learn how to bring healing to different kinds of people within the body of Christ. The rest of this message is pretty simple. I want to go through a four-step process to healing. I want to talk about how to confront each Enneagram type. And then I want to talk about loving one another 
at the end. Let's start with this four-step process to healing. Now, many of you probably heard of this, but when you injure yourself physically, like with a sprained ankle, you do this thing called RICE. And RICE stands for Rest, Ice, Compress, Elevate. It was invented in 1978 by Dr. Gabe Merkin as a first aid treatment to help with soft tissue injuries right? And uh, I was uh, supposedly swelling is the enemy because, you know, as your, as your leg swells up, I guess it pushes the cartilage farther apart. What you want to do is knit that cartilage back together. And, you know, when I injured my leg, I did not hesitate to rest, ice, compress, elevate. Honey, I would help out right now, but you, you, you don't understand. I got rice. And rice, she's like, of course you'd like rice. I said, that's not right. You can't say that. That's racist. She goes, you know what, John? Here's the deal. I'm married to you, okay? Don't accuse me of that. I said, all right, fine. You know, but it's 2020. That doesn't feel good. Anyway, I had my foot elevated. I was compressing it. I was resting it. And, and, and I could get into detail, but I think you guys get it. I think spiritually, when our body gets injured, okay, when the body of Christ gets injured, when you get hurt uh, emotionally or relationally, what do you do? You swell up. You swell up. Some of us do it differently. Some of us swell up with anger. Some of us push people away with isolation. Some of us, you know, push people away with our emotions or whatever. But all the different various Enneagram type numbers, we do this in different ways, but we all swell up. It's a natural protective action, just like your ankle swells when you sprain it. And unfortunately, like physical swelling, emotional swelling causes harm because we don't want to push other bodies of the part away in the healing process. What do we want to do? We want to pull them together so we can get knit back together. I think healing spiritually is very similar to healing physically. What I want to do is I want to talk about a spiritual or emotional and relational version of rice that I think you'll find helpful today. And the first part of that process is to read God's Word. This is a big deal. It's interesting to me to watch the way society standards change over time. I know some of you roll your eyes like, why do I got to read God's word? Well, because society standards change a lot. You know what I mean? I think a lot of people are like, well, I, I mean, I can watch the news and understand how people are, and I don't need to read God's word to find truth. You know, I think in 1937, 1938, the Nazi party was like, hey, we got this down. You know what I mean? Like, we got a good morality. We're all good. Everybody around them said this is right. This is the way to do it. And obviously, we look back in hindsight, we're like, how did they get so messed up? Society wasn't right there. The 20th century American Baptist, which was sort of a tradition that I came out of, thought that dancing was terrible. I've had people say things like, you know, I've broken all Ten Commandments, but I've never danced and I've never tasted the devil's juice. And it's like, your priorities are really messed up. You have not drank alcohol and you have not, you know, danced ever, but you've killed people. Like that's, you know what I mean? Your priorities are, are done messed up, right? But that, and obviously in hindsight, it's there, but society standards are strange, right? The 21st century American politics says evil is good and good is evil. I mean, it blows my mind the way that we tell our children uh, about their sexuality, you know, or, or, or the way that we give rights to the unborn or don't give rights to the unborn. I think 100 years from now, we're going to look back and say, that's messed up, right? Because society's examples are right. I love God's word because it provides a standard that transcends time. At any point, I can go to a selection of friends and get them to tell me whatever I want to hear, right? I go to friends, they'll say, you know, you should just do you. You should just listen to yourself. You should just, how many times have I gotten bad advice from friends? Or how many times have I given bad advice to friends because I want to please them? What I love about the Bible is it's unchanging. It doesn't tell you what you want to hear. It tells you the truth and what you need to hear. When you have a hurt relationship in the body of Christ, the first thing I want to encourage you to do is go to the unchanging, reliable truth of God's Word. I recommend going to the YouVersion Bible app in your phone, and it has lots of different Bible reading plans. It can help you with specific issues and topics in your life. Um, I love that. When I'm hurt, that's where I go. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 reminds us all Scripture is inspired by God, and it is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Isn't that great? Like, there's a standard here that helps me. I think this is absolutely correct. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. It's really helpful to seek God's standards. And here's another thing. My feelings have led me to make some of the worst choices of my life. And I think if you're over 25 years old, you've probably listened to your heart, listened to your feelings a few times, and made some terrible decisions. I don't think my feelings are great standards. I don't think society or friends are a great standard. I think the Word of God is a great standard. 
People who see the Bible as a final authority on all of life's issues tend to have higher levels of social well-being and life satisfaction than others. Isn't that interesting? That's what research tells us. And you might be an atheist in here, and you might be like, well, the Bible's a human secretion. It's not really useful. It's, you can't really call it. It's just a bunch written over thousands. How can, how can it be reliable? Well, it's like statistically God's word works. Like it leads to higher levels of social well-being, to higher standards of living for most people who believe that it's the final authority in things. It's like, why wouldn't you follow that? When I feel hurt by someone, when there is conflict among Christians, the first place I go to deal with, that, deal with that hurt is God's word. The next step in the rice process is to intercede with prayer. Intercede is a fancy Christian word, which just means pray for somebody. Um, you'll find God's word replete with examples telling us to do this. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 43, uh, you have heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Isn't that what the world says to do? Like, you love people who are nice to you, you hate people who are mean to you, right? It's eye for an eye, too. That's justice. That's what you're, they got to get what they deserve. But I say, love your enemies. What? That's a Christian standard. Grace is a Christian standard. Pray for those who persecute you. Notice it doesn't say pray meanly. It says love them. Pray lovingly. You can't be like, God, I really hope you smite them. No, that's not what it says. It says pray lovingly. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. What's he telling us? We're all part of the same family. We're part of one body. They're not an enemy. They're a brother or a sister. And that changes the way that you treat people. What does the world say? The world says, get even. It says, get yours. Isn't that what we do politically today? You know what blows my mind is, politically, we're all part of the same country, aren't we? We're part of one body as a country. It's a much less important body than we are a part of as Christians. But politically, we're all part of one body. And it blows my mind that we keep stabbing ourselves, right? This last week, Don Lemon, who's a host on CNN, said some really nasty things about people that he disagrees with. And you know what the other side said, the people he disagrees with, they, they hit back, super nasty-like. And I was like, why are we stabbing each other? We're just beating ourselves up. We're punching our own face. Wouldn't it be more effective when Don Lemon said those things, the people that he said them to just said, hey, you know what, we love you and we disagree with you, but we're not going to sink to that level. We refuse to continue to hurt our own body. Jesus says when people hurt you, remember, we're all part of God's family. Do we believe that or not? Let's pray for people as though it's our own ankle that's hurt rather than like hitting someone else in the ankle. The second part of the healing process is interceding with prayer. The third part of the process is confronting with love. Emphasis on with love. I'll talk more about this in a later section. But Jesus very specifically talks about this in Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 15, which is a fantastic passage. You should read at home um, uh, because I'm not going to read all of it today. But it says, if another believer sins against you, this is Jesus speaking, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. Go thoughtfully. After seeking God's word in prayer. Notice it doesn't say, talk to all of your friends seeking wise counsel in the form of gossip. You know what I mean? I think that's what a lot of Christians do. We know that gossiping is sinful. If you're not a Christian, that's fine. But a lot of, a lot of Christians, we, not a lot, all Christians know that gossiping is sinful. So what we do is we say, hey, I just want to seek wise counsel, okay? John Hill came to my house and he kicked my cat. Can you believe it? He kicked my cat. What do you think I should do? You don't need to seek wise counsel. What you need to do is come to me and say, thank you for kicking my horrible, no, just kidding. That's terrible. That's, uh, okay? What you need to do is come to me and say, don't kick my cat. Right? You don't need to seek wise counsel for that. That's gossip. And I think so many Christians, we've fallen into this part of God. Can you believe what they're doing? It, you know, this or that. Can you believe that worship song? Can you believe that, you know, it's sisterhood? Or can you believe what he said or what she did? And just go to the person. I mean, can you imagine what life would be like if we actually listened to this counsel? Like we went to the person, we handled it that way. Imagine politics, marriages, school, friendship. I think these used to be a lot more common. But I feel like conflict has become so much more passive, aggressive, emphasis on the aggressive. Like when somebody hurts us, what do we do these days? We ghost them and we talk to everybody we know and we savage them as much as possible, right? And we just ignore them. We say, I'm going to make new friends for a little bit. 
I'll ghost them for a month or two till I'm not mad at them anymore. When I see them again, we just won't talk about it. That's like breaking your arm, letting it heal all crooked-like, permanently having a like wounded, not functioning correctly arm and being like, it's good. Let's just never talk about this. You know what I mean? Like, no, no, no. You got to heal the issue. You got to set the bone. You got to confront and love. The final part of this process is encouragement. Encouragement. The Bible tells us in Galatians 5.22, Paul says, but the Holy Spirit... Okay, God in your life, it's the Holy Spirit, produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. This is such a great God. Listen, it, great guide. If you're cutting out an injury in your life, let's say a snake bit you and you're like cutting out the venom, or let's say you're, 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 you're stitching up a wound. Um, encouragement is, is the anesthetic. It's the Novocaine. It's the, the shot of numbing that you need in your life. Without it, it's really going to hurt. It's going to be painful. You need encouragement in this process. Let me give you an example of what I mean. We have this lady on our staff. Her name is Aubrey Toppin. And you know what I love about Aubrey is I think so many Gen Zers are like, I want to go to Europe. I want to go away to college and blow my money and all these things because I want to I do something. Mean. She says, you know what? I can be meaningful right here in my own backyard. And rather than going to college, I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to work full time. I'm not going to go into debt. And I'm going to serve Jesus in the process. Like, what a great example to people, right? So many of her peers are like, I'm in college and I have to work two hours a day while I party the other 22. And it's just so hard to skip class and not do anything. You know what I mean? Calling mom. I'm trying as hard as I can and I'm failing. I don't know why. Anyway, I love Aubrey. She's great. She is single gentleman, just so you know. But anyway, um, I told her to write a Bible plan for the YouVersion Bible app. Okay, because uh, we were in this relentless campaign, and I wanted her to write the Bible plan for that. So she spent a week working really hard on it, and I didn't know this, but apparently she was nervous to, to show it to me. And I'm like, why would anybody be nervous to talk to them? I'm not, like, intimidating or anything. But apparently she was so nervous that she prayed with Elise on her staff for courage before she talked with me, right? And uh, so she comes into my office, and I read it in front of her, just rifle through it, you know, marking it up and everything. And uh, I'm going to be honest. It was a really good first draft, but it did need quite a bit of work. So I made sure to point out her mistakes. And, you know, as a leader, I don't just want people to know that they screwed up. I want to know, I want them to know all the reasons why they screwed up so they can know how to never make that mistake again. And I want to explain it in full 360 degree perspective. I want them to know every angle of why this isn't right. It's just the way I work, right? And then after I was done, you know, probably 15, 20 minutes of explaining that, I just went ahead and said, and here's a standard I want. Here's where this is at. Here's what I want from you. I want you to roar at it. I want you to crush it. And this is not high school anymore. And you're going to kill it. And I know you can. So you get back in here and you crush it and whatever. I did RIC really well, really well. I just forgot the E. You know what I mean? That's just one letter. It's not that big a deal. Elise came into my office afterwards. She asked me how it went. I said, girl, went good. How did you know I talked with her? She's like, oh, she was nervous, so I prayed with her before I came in here. I was like, you did? Why? Because she was nervous to confront you. I go, why would she be nervous? She goes, what did you say to her? And I told her what I said to her, and Elise got more and more pale, if that's possible. She was like getting really upset, you know? And I was like, uh-oh. You know what I mean? Well, anyway, we went looking for Aubrey, and we did find her in a kids' ministry classroom that was dark while she was crying, you know what I mean, in there. I was like, oh, no, right? And here's the thing. Everything I said was true, but without encouragement, without the fruit of God's Spirit in our lives, what's the point in saying all those things? People can't receive it. And I want to make it clear. I apologize to Aubrey. I was way more in the wrong. I felt terrible. I learned from my mistake. It was awful, and it is tough being an eight. That's just an Enneagram type eight, isn't it? But listen, listen, listen. I think so many of us in our lives forget that E right there, and we burn all these relationships, and yet E is a big part of the process that God gives to us. Encouragement must be there. Spiritual rice is going to work. So physical rice is rest, ice, compress, elevate. Spiritual rice is read, intercede, confront, and encourage. This process brings healing to the injured body of Christ, and I don't think that God's body is like getting injured more frequently than at any other point in Christian history. I just think we forgot about how to treat our injuries. 
So many of us are living lives relationally where we have these injuries over and over again. And listen, we have hurt relationships with people we love. I want to challenge people to be people of healing. Normally, I just wrap this up with a few points and questions and whatever. But since we're wrapping up the series on the Enneagram, I want to talk about the way that each Enneagram type interacts with this rice process. We're going to zoom through it pretty fast. A lot of blanks here. It's okay if you don't get them. It won't be the end of the world, especially if you're an Enneagram type 1. Just let it go, okay? It doesn't need to be perfect. You'll get most of them. Um, but uh, we're going to talk about who we are with Christ, who we are, or who we are apart from Christ with the rice process, who we are with Christ, and what kind of friends each person needs to handle rice effectively. And uh, for eights, apart from Jesus, we can be intimidating. If my story with Aubrey didn't already emphasize that to you. Here's the problem. Eights is you're scary and intimidating. I know you might find it hard to believe, but if you just do you all the time, you're going to lose all your relationships. And that's our big fear, isn't it? We don't want people to abandon us or betray us. The problem is eights love the C. We just hate the R, the I, and the E. For an eight, confrontation is a compliment. I know you might find that hard to believe, but eights love getting confronted. It feels good to us. As an eight, I seek it out because I know it helps me be closer to a goal. The problem is, what's easy for us as eights is really hard for others. The eights end up overwhelming people and pushing people out of their life. A lot of eights end up kind of lonely, right? We have a lot of respect from people. We don't have that many close friends because we push everyone out by being overwhelming, by being way too direct and overbearing. In Christ, eights can become uh, or can gain tenderness and love for other individuals. Spend some time slowing down. Like, actually read God's word. And then, this is big, remember to take the time to encourage. It helps me to remember to encourage people when I think about the fact that Jesus did it all the time. When I think about the fact that nothing I'm saying is going to be effective unless people can actually receive it. Eights need loving friends. And I know that that might be shocking to some of you, but um, that's what eights actually need. And here's the problem with eights. Is we tend to be a little bit porcupiney, and we push all the soft, nice, sweet people out of our life until there's only other porcupines in our life. And it becomes like this self-fulfilling prophecy where we just wound each other more and more, and we poke each other more and more until all we have is a bunch of Cuella de Vil sitting in a circle smoking filter tip 5000s. You know what I mean? Like, it's not good, right? It's not good. We need soft people to love us enough. You know what I mean? And I know that some of you tender people might be like, my eight really hurts me all the time. Listen. They need you to remind them about tenderness. Nines apart from Jesus can be stubborn and lazy in conflict. They will act like they're going to resolve something, but they'll end up ignoring it and not doing anything. Nines can struggle with every part of the, right proce- uh, the rice process when unhealthy. For a nine, a lot of times they'll sprain an ankle, and they would rather just limp the rest of their life than deal with the issue correctly. Nines can walk around with so many injuries relationally that um, I think sometimes their aversion to act is simply because they're so deeply wounded in every area of their life. Nines need time to process. And this is a big deal, nines. And you're going to process. And after, long after the argument's done, you're going to process through it and then have some things to say. Part of your discipline needs to be going back to the person and finishing the argument. I just strongly recommend not doing it by email or text message, but just go to the person. At least call them up to talk. In Christ, um, nines use their powerful insight to bring great healing. And here's the other part about nines. A lot of times nines struggle with um, the rice process, but when they're healthy and in Christ, they're the MVPs of healing God's body. Nobody's better at it than they are. They're amazing at this process because they have ability to see all the sides of an argument and then build consensus that's unrivaled. I mean, it's amazing what a healthy nine can do. But nine needs friends uh, need, uh, needs friends who are motivational and encouraging. Nines are needed by God. They're some of the greatest mediators in conflict scenarios. And healthy nines are awesome at spiritual rice. Ones, apart from Jesus, can be critical and legalistic. I know that's not surprising to many of you who have ones in your life, but uh, ones will do everything but E. Okay? They love R, I, and C so much. 
uh, if they're supposed to read God's word, they will. If they're supposed to intercede with prayer, they will. They'd be like, hey, God, I just want you to know all the things that they did that are wrong, okay? I mean, I'm praying for them. I'm praying, here's the list, and I know that you're omniscient, but I just want to remind you in great detail about what they did wrong. And uh, listen, once you got to remember to practice encouragement. Don't hold back or mitigate encouragement. Example of bad encouragement for ones. This is what ones will have a tendency to do. They'll say, you did a good job, but don't get a big head because you screwed up seven ways to Sunday and it was far from perfect and I just want you to know that. That's not encouragement. That's just a part two of the confrontation, right? And you need to actually give unmitigated encouragement. In Christ, ones can gain compassion and grace because Jesus first loved ones they can love and forgive others in Christ Jesus. And I love that about them. I've seen God change. Elise went on her staff. She's a one, and she's become a person of grace because she first received grace from Jesus. And she talks all the time about how she was not that way apart from Jesus. Ones need morally sound, wise friends who help them remember to be encouraging. And aside from E, I want to make it clear. Ones, you are really good at the confrontation, at the RIC process. It's just remembering the E at the end. Twos apart from Jesus. This is surprising, but they can be prideful and pushy. You see, twos have a tough time seeing that they're wrong, and here's why. Threes are the most popular, but twos are the most loved. And twos are wonderful, perceptive, caring people. They have a tendency to build friendships where people want to protect them. When I first met Kristen, she had like a a series of bodyguards of friends all around her. I was like, man, everybody wants to protect her, but I will overcome all of you. They rarely hurt others, but twos often feel hurt in different ways. They feel upset. They feel wronged. And uh, when either of these things happen, because they're so loved and they're so lovely, Uh, They have a hard time seeing their role in situations. Twos will go through the whole rice process, but in the C part, they won't see their role. They'll just confront the other person because of their pride. Twos in Christ will gain humility. You see, Jesus allows twos not just to be loved, but to love others selflessly. And my wife as a two before Christ tended to see herself as a victim in some different situations. But today, she's amazing at humbling herself and owning her role and serving others. And I love that. And it's because of Jesus in her life. Twos need friends who gently call out their pride. Emphasis on gently. Listen, twos are soft and tender. You don't need to hit them over the head with a text message at 10 o'clock at night. Don't be sending like, hey, I noticed you were upset and did it. Stop. Stop. Tender, gentle, flower, rose, soft, kind, sweet, caring. Okay, those are all good adjectives. Don't. Are those adjectives? Is that? Yeah, those are adjectives. Okay. Don't. Don't. Don't be harsh on a two. Be gentle. Threes, apart from Jesus, can be exaggerating and attention-seeking. They will suck the air out of a room. It's all about them. In a confrontation, threes are really good at C and E. They're charismatic. They're generally captivating. And they will not hesitate to confront somebody. But all that prep work, all that God's word prayer, forget about it. I got stuff to do. I got too much to take care of. I got a house to clean. I got things to achieve. And threes will make it all about minimizing their role and maximizing someone else's role. Here's why it's not my fault. Here's what was wrong, and here's how it's like really not me. Is this other thing outside of me, and the goal will not be to heal. The goal will be to win and to look good. In Christ, threes can become selfless and focused on good outside of themselves. For a three to actually bring healing instead of shaping a reality where they look awesome, they need to meditate on God's word and pray for and about the other person and focus on owning their role, not blaming something outside of themselves. Threes need secure friends who will speak the truth. And here's the problem. Threes are so good at, like, getting out of the role. They're not overbearing like eights. Threes are so good at, like, manipulating a situation to a place where they look good. They have a tendency, if you confront a three, a lot of times you'll be like, oh, my goodness, it is all my fault. I'm so sorry. Thank you for helping me see it that way, right? If you're confronting a three, you need to go in and be like, I am not going to back away from this. I want to help them. I love them, and I need them to see this. Fours, apart from Jesus, can be emotional and negative in conflict. Fours can spend a lot of time in RIC, just like ones. But unlike a one, they're, they're there in a much slower, more wandering way. They just, 
They like to be in that. They're comfortable with negativity. Fours have trouble looking for hope because they're comfortable with pain and hurt. Fours love other fours. They love hanging out together. It can be all good. But in Christ, fours gain a desire for hope, joy, and healing in conflict. Healthy fours are so good for those who are hurting. If you're hurting, there's nothing like another or finding a four in your life because you know what? Unlike most of the Enneagram types, which like run away from pain and don't want pain and don't like pain, fours are there with you. They're there beside you, and they don't want to just run away from it. And I love that about fours. Healthy fours are awesome because not only are they comfortable with you in the pain, but at just the right time, they're able to point people to hope, meaning, and healing. Uh, Fours need positive friends who see beauty in different situations and help them find solutions. Fives. Ah, my second best friend. My wife's my best friend. My dad and I are super close. Fives apart from Jesus, can be arrogant and detached. When actually in conflict, their, their strong intellect is less concerned about healing and more concerned about demonstrating the incompetence of an argument. This is, this is so my dad and his whole family. Um, they're not so concerned about healing people. They're just concerned about superior ideas being understood. Like eights, fives tend to focus on the C in conflict. And they'll read a lot of books, maybe not the Bible. They'll read a lot of books that, that, that support their arguments. And fives, listen, you are the smartest of all Enneagram types. Definitely the smartest. But here's the thing I want you to understand. Research tells us that there is no link between integrity and intelligence. Just because you're smart doesn't mean you have morality. And this is why I think God's word is such a great standard for fives. Because it gives you an anchor. Because you can outsmart everybody. And I love that when you're submitted to Jesus, here's a standard that you can't outsmart or you won't outsmart. In Christ, um, fives gain vision for the value of people. Now, my dad and many of his siblings are, are fives in his family. I don't know why the Hill family produced so many fives. But um, they all talk about how when my dad became a Christian, he gained a desire to care for people that he never had before. And I love that. I mean, that's, I mean, supernaturally, almost overnight. My dad and my wife did a podcast about fives that I thought was really good. Um, and so true. I mean, I've watched this happen with my dad. But uh, fives need competent friends who will call them out and remind them that people matter. Uh, fives need a friend who can spar with them intellectually. You need to be able to have a conversation and spar with them and not back down just because they know things. But then help them refocus on relationships and healing hurt there, not just superior ideas. Sixes apart from Jesus have something that I call fearful and explosive conflict. Okay? This is the problem. This is the problem. This is the problem. Okay? A six will get hurt, and they will spend a long time preparing for the conflict. They'll be preparing. They'll be thinking. They'll be worrying. They'll be anxious about it, and uh, they'll never go into the conflict until all of a sudden it just explodes out of them a year later, you know? And uh, I would challenge you as a six to set allotments of time. Okay? I'm going to read God's Word for 15 minutes. I'm going to pray for 10 minutes, and then I'm going to resolve to call this person and, and, and either talk to them or set up a time to meet with them so that we can have confront, confrontation and encouragement rather than just letting it come out in some odd way. Sixes. Jesus helps sixes um, confront from calm and from faith in his promises. Uh, when sixes seek God's promises and the truth within, it gives them the confidence and vision to see what needs to be done and the courage to execute. Rather than worrying about a million different possibilities and trying to prepare for these endless things, in Christ Jesus, you'll have the courage to actually act. Uh, sixes need secure and calm friends who show them the truth. Sevens, it's your time now. And all the sevens are like, oh, thank God. Why do you always put us last? Because you wouldn't listen otherwise. Apart from Jesus, um, sevens can be overwhelming and flighty in conflict. 
Uh, sevens are the only ones who are really, really good at E. And I love that about sevens. They're really good at encouragement. They're not good at RIC, but they're great at it. If I need encouragement, where's Zachary? Zachary, come here and tell me how wonderful I am. You know what I mean? Like, he's just the best at that. He's awesome. I love having sevens in my life for that reason. The problem is they have a hard time sticking around long enough to actually go through RIC. Uh, you see, they start reading God's word, and then they get bored and distracted, and they go make new friends, never healing the old hurt. They just leave that part of the body of Christ, and they never go back. Or they focus only on encouragement without ever going through R, I, and C. They tend not want to think about issues. And uh, the challenge for a seven is to learn to manage pain and actually think about it. In Christ, sevens are brilliant, motivated, and resourceful to bring healing. And I want you to know, sevens, you really are brilliant and resourceful. I've seen sevens, they can figure so much stuff out when they want to. But they need loyal, disciplined friends who will force them and help them to navigate their pain Verse 7, Jesus helps us see value in other people as children of God, not just partners in having fun. And that's a big struggle for sevens. You love people as fun partners, but you don't love people as brothers and sisters. And there's a big difference. Sevens love people. Let's have fun. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's go to Hollies. Let's shoot darts. Let's do, let's do the shoot some pool. Oh my goodness, so many hobbies, so many places to go. But they're not just fun partners. They're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we stick with them. Right? I think as we leave this series, it would be a great tragedy if we don't bring real, meaningful healing to the body of Christ. Jesus reminds us in John 13, 34, and 35, specifically 35, he says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. How do you know somebody's a Christian? The way they love other people. John basically says, if you don't love other people, you're not my follower, right? You're not a follower of Jesus. You're a follower of Jesus when you heal broken relationships. I think a lot of times people confuse love and being nice. And listen, being loving and nice are not the same thing. They're very, very different. I think love is best displayed as healing and growing the body of Christ. Love is so much more than being nice. In fact, I think a lot of times being nice is hateful. How many times have I seen parents hate their children by being nice to them and enabling them to do crazy things? How many times have I seen, you know, people who supposedly love an addict just enable them to make terrible choices, right? That's hateful. That's hateful. So many times being nice is the hateful thing to do. Love means doing what's best for somebody, even if it hurts. Saying, hey, you are making choices right now with your life sexually or with your sexual identity that are going to hurt you for the rest of your life. And I love you and I refuse to applaud what I know is destroying who you are. Loving means doing what's best for people when it hurts. It's leading people to a deeper love and commitment to Jesus. It's walking into conflict to heal brokenness. And I hope that this finding you thing doesn't just give you a deeper understanding. I hope it empowers you with the courage, boldness, and determination to heal and love God's body. Church, we are doing some big things right now, and I don't want you to just understand one another better. I don't want you to just be like, oh my goodness, I'm a two, and all of a sudden I understand me and why I do things. No, no, no. This isn't so that you can understand you better. This is so that you can love one another better. This is so that you can actually bring healing to broken relationships. And I have some big challenges at the end of this. It's a big deal, but I actually want to challenge you to do that. I want you to have some real discussions with your families. I'd encourage leaders of families to actually lead the way in vulnerability on this. Okay, first question, what is one relationship you are in that needs healing? I don't just want you to be like, well, all my relationships are good. You know, everything's good. You know, I don't have any issues at all. No, no, no. What if you led the way and said, hey, I've got some issues with your aunt, and I won't go into details because I don't want to gossip, but I just want to ask you to pray for me and your aunt this week, right? Because we have some issues. And then, number two, whoops. Number two, what is your role in the hurt? I don't just want you to say, well, it's all your aunt's fault. And this. No, no, I want you to say, hey, your dad has been struggling with unforgiveness and bitterness. And I just want to confess that to you. This is my role, right? And don't go into, well, she did this and she did all these things and she took money and blah, blah, blah. It's not necessary. I've been struggling 
with unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment. And that's my role, right? And then number three, how can you practice rice in that area this week? Hey guys, I'm committed to reading God's word, to praying for your aunt lovingly. And I'm actually going to set up a time to meet with her because life is too short for us. I want you to lead the way. I want you to, parents, show your kids what it looks like to forgive somebody. Leaders in this room, show your family what it looks like to lead the way in humility. Don't just say, oh, I dread Christmases all the time, right? Don't live in this community being like, oh, yeah, you know, in our friend group, there's this person we always hate when they're here and da, 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 and I resent them because, you know, years ago and she went out with my boyfriend. Well, stop, 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 stop. Life is too short to live that way. Deal with it. And finally, in light of who you both are, what specific things can you do to make healing more likely this week? In light of the Enneagram, what can you do to make healing more likely this week? As we close, I'd like to pray with you guys. Jesus, I thank you for this church. I thank you for each person in it. I pray that we wouldn't just understand each other better, Lord, but I pray that because of this series, we could fulfill your great commandment better. Help us to love one another more effectively. In fact, the way you loved us, help us to lay down our lives for each other. Lord, I just thank you for, um, I thank you for your work on the cross. We don't take it for granted, and it's your example that we follow. We love one another because of the way you first loved us. Lord, I pray that years from now, as we look back at your work in our respective communities, Lord, I just pray that our mark would be our love for one another, our love for each other, our love for this world. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen and amen.